Two years, of course, there's uh, always the opportunity, the chance for people to come back into the road. There's has to be um, dependent on causes and conditions. So, one of the important causes and conditions would be for that person to take, you know, an interest, a continuing interest in the Dhamma practice, and ideally, you know, remain single, not too many commitments and uh, responsibilities, so that one is in a position that, when the mind is ready, that one could come back into the road. And then, to keep up the practice, you need to develop a lot of contemplation of death and just the nature of life in the world, how it's very impermanent, unsatisfactory, that all the wealth that we accumulate, the experiences, the pleasures of the world don't really last. They don't really satisfy us or bring us to the end of suffering. Just keep contemplating that and little by little one's mindfulness will turn into samadhi and from that an insight will arise and when that's mature to the point you know that you feel you're getting some some real peace from that contemplation then the mind will be ready to, to leave behind the world again and come back into the road is that when you first ordain you tend to do it with a rush of inspiration faith enthusiasm and and that doesn't sustain, that doesn't last. What sustains one in the robes has to be more continuous mindfulness practice and then contemplating the Dharma as you just described, contemplating the impermanent nature of this body, this mind and the things of the world. And when one has some regular mindfulness practice, that will start to emerge into samadhi and that's what will really keep one in the robes for longer not just bursts of inspiration and, and sort of just faith. A lot of my family they're encouraging me, oh you're back and you know family is busy with the mother and I'm no no no, yeah. So I so there's that pressure and, and it's also stirring up a lot of yeah, oh yeah, of course. Um Deep inside, I know, I really sort of, I just know that I'm asking that word. Yeah, do I contemplate death to channel that or to all? He says, yes, of course, there is a sense of struggle between the Dhamma and the world, or worldly Dhammas, and then the transcendental Dhammas. And you might say at the moment, the strength of your Dhamma practice and the various spiritual faculties and qualities uh, that uh, support the Dhamma practice are not quite enough to bring you back into the road. But that doesn't mean to say you, you, know, you can't practice or you stop practicing. One can still practice quite um, well as a lay person. And so one carries on. If you have a job, you, know, you need to get a job and work and do various activities that lay people do, well that's fine, but try to maintain this uh, regular reflection on these truths, these deeper truths, to keep the goal, the highest goal in mind. You know, when you are making money to realise, well this isn't going to lead to ultimate happiness, this is still very temporary happiness, money and what it can bring, the worldly wealth, um, 
happiness of families, relationships and so on. You keep bringing your mind back to the higher goal and you know, keep, when you can, you put effort into your practice, develop meditation, contemplate the Dhamma, hear the Dhamma, even take time out, like now say, to come and stay in the monastery, keep the eight precepts uh, from time to time. And what you're doing is you're still practicing the Buddhist path and you're developing you know, one aspect of the Buddha, Buddhist uh, community as well as Buddhist lay people men and women who are devoted to the practice but they still have worldly responsibilities. So you can do that, you can practice as a good lay person and keep developing that and you know the religion needs that as well, you know, monks are supported by lay people, it's not that everyone becomes a monk. But if you keep up a regular practice and you keep deepening your insight, well you might later in life when the time is right you might reach a point where you feel uh, enough of this worldly um, pursuit of worldly happiness and uh, the more worldly sort of activities, enough of that, now I'm ready to go back to the road and you might have some insight at that point and you know just, it'll just turn your mind, meaning your faculties, your inner qualities have reached the point where they are getting stronger and they're stronger to overcome the various defilements and attachments that previously held you back from joining the roads or going into the roads. Christian, I want to uh, ask one on um, One problem I have is sleeping. I'm sleeping, waking up in the middle of the night, and my mind starts working, ticking over, and I find it hard to keep my mind still. And I'll to get back to sleep. And I'm wondering if the, the techniques of meditation that we use to keep to still our mind in meditation are appropriate to to still my mind at night to get back to sleep or whether a different technique or approach would be better. Says, yes, of course you can uh, meditate at that time. Uh, he recommends to contemplate, develop some insight, say if you're thinking about work and other sort of more mundane responsibilities at that time, um, bring your mind to contemplate impermanence, the impermanence of your very life as a human being, the fact that we uh, all, our, all of our lives come to an end, we get old, we get sick, we die. Uh, the things that we achieve in this world, the wealth that we build up, the, all the sort of different experiences we have are all ultimately impermanent, uh, changing experiences, changing phenomena. Um, contemplate that until it brings your mind to sort of release the energy and the uh, whatever you're grasping at that's keeping you sort of thinking about those uh, worldly things uh, and just the mind lets go. Uh, at that point you might fall asleep because you've sort of just let go of whatever it is you've been thinking about or at that point then just turn to uh, the meditation object you're more used to, familiar with, maybe the breathing meditation, counting the breath or any other meditation technique that you use. Uh, he suggested another one is contemplation of the body, to see that the body is made up of four elements, earth, air, fire, water, and the, developing the perception of non-self in this body, seeing it as just as elements. Um, what you'll find is, if you're developing any kind of meditation technique, whichever one it is, 
you know, when you get to the point where you lose your mindfulness, the concentration of that meditation technique, rather, you'll just fall asleep naturally because you've lost your mindfulness for the moment, mm. or drift off to sleep, uh, which is okay, you know, that's, that's fine. I suppose part of that is if, if you're worrying about something in particular, if you're contemplating impermanence, our worries are impermanent too, that they will eventually go and disappear. Generally, what feeds our worries and any kind of mental agitation and suffering is this grasping, grasping at our, our experience, grasping at the thought, grasping at the object, the things you're thinking about the concepts, the uh, issues. Uh, so when you contemplate impermanence, what it's doing is helping your mind to accept the very thing that's feeding your, your worry and, 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 and that you're worrying about is impermanent. Your, your mind, over time, contemplating impermanence, starts to accept this thing is impermanent. The worries are impermanent, the thoughts are impermanent. It starts to let go then. That's why we experience more peace, a sense of relief. As long as we don't contemplate, the mind will just keep grasping, attaching to the issue, feeding, thinking it over, and we suffer. And Buddha always said that attachment leads to suffering. It's a kind of a basic process of the mind that you can't avoid. As long as there's attachment there, you'll suffer, end up suffering. But the uh, reflection on impermanence is what helps remedy, you see through attachment, remedies that and the mind will start to let go, experience release. We have to reflect that although we have our worldly responsibilities, our duties to family, to work, to society and so on, unfortunately it's the nature of human existence that we are bound by ageing, sickness and death. And so they compare this to like a sort of creeping fire that's gradually coming nearer and gradually incinerating us little by little, burning us up little by little. And, you know, when we're younger we don't recognise that fact, often we, we're oblivious to it, but as we get older, you know, it, perhaps it does become more obvious that time is running out little by little, it's all sort of being burnt up, being incinerated. So that's the reflection that leads you to want to do something more, to, to follow, pursue the spiritual practice. When you start to pursue the spiritual practice more earnestly, perhaps more sincerely, it's important to reflect this is not turning your back on your worldly responsibilities, responsibility to your family, to society and so on. What you're doing is developing yourself so that you have skills and strength and goodness of heart that you can then turn around and take that back to help your family, society and so on. So it's just recognising the fact before you can really fulfil and really help others properly, you also have to help yourself. So this is how the, the spiritual, the Buddhist path works. It's not turning one, completely turning one's back on family and society and so on, it's merely seeing the importance of uh, developing some of these higher truths, higher dhammas for oneself and then that becomes the goodness that you can take back to help help uh, the world. There's the most important thing if one still has aspiration, aspiration to 
uh, into the monkhood again is to minimize one's fetters, ties, burdens in, in the worldly life. Um, you know, the comparison is like if you have uh, a job and you know you start to take on responsibility in that job, you commit to it to the point where you become really tied up with it, well it's like your hand is tied to something, your hand's tied. The wealth that you develop uh, and gain from that job, your property, money, other things, like your foot becomes tied and probably strongest of all if you have a partner, a wife and maybe children later it's like your, your neck, your throat is tied. You're completely bound up, bound down. It's very difficult to, uh, you know, extract yourself from all those ties. One, um, so one should reflect maybe that the monk's life is the most convenient, suitable life for practicing dhamma, for developing meditation, contemplating to develop insight. Uh, that's how this lifestyle emerged. It's for for that very reason. So it is the most ideal form, suitable form. <coughs> So if one has that aspiration and recognizes that well to try and keep one's options open by limiting the ties to the world, you know, family, wealth, responsibility, to limit that so that there is more of a chance that one can step out when the mind is ready, one can step out from it. And it's essential to maintain the, the level of one's faith commitment to the teachings, to the Buddhist path. Now you come out of the robes, well you, to be in the robes you've had quite a firm, quite a high level of, of faith commitment and the important thing is obviously to try not to let that wane and disappear, or fade. Um, because obviously there's a lot of temptation and uh, opportunity for distraction and getting lost in, in worldly moods and worldly experiences. Everything we experience through our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch with the body and then just the, uh, all the ideas and concepts popping up in the mind, that's chipping away or eroding away against your faith if, if you don't have enough mindfulness and enough strength to contemplate these things or they'll little, little by little chip away at your, your faith, your commitment to the practice. So that's the, the tricky part is to keep, you could say, reaffirming and re-establishing and maintaining faith and confidence and commitment to the practice. So we do that by continuing to uh, listen to Dhamma, read Dhamma, meet with teachers, uh, come to the monasteries, go on retreats, all these sort of things help to keep up our faith, the level of our faith. And you know, some kind of regular Dhamma practice in your daily life, say in the evenings and when you come home from work, not just to let off steam with many kind of worldly things, worldly pursuits, but to always reflect, well what's the highest happiness for me and the highest happiness in the world? Well it's Nibbana. You know, Nibbana is the complete ending of suffering through the uh, eradication of kilesa and defilement. That's even more profound, deeper kind of happiness than you can experience, say, in the heaven realms or the Brahma realms, and certainly in this world. 
So you have that goal then to you know, put some effort into maintaining mindfulness practice both in daily life but also you know, practice a regular meditation technique so that you have some strength of mindfulness to uh, counter that temptation to get lost in all the, the sense distraction of the world that it brings to us. And if you keep practicing mindfulness regularly like this, well, little by little your mind becomes fir firmer, you become more experienced in the practice, you start to experience some samadhi, some, some real um, contentment and peace of heart. And that will, you know, that's the real sort of supportive condition that will both keep your faith going because you can see the very results of your practice, but it will also maybe bring you back to the road. Yes, it's a very powerful, auspicious chant to do. Uh, when one is chanting, you know, with with faith and mindfulness in the chant, you'll find that actually you get this sense of the energy, the body. Uh, coming up as if there's an energy coming to protect one the different important points uh, energy points of this body and mind as one's chanting they come that energy comes comes to protect one so one has a very sort of sense of solidity and 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 peace of mind comes through that the important thing is obviously to uh, maintain and develop mindfulness as one chants recollect what one's doing uh, presence of mind and then recollect the qualities of Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. Uh, this is what brings up this energy, the, the sort of goodness of the mind, bringing the mind up, bringing the level of rapture and happiness up during that chant. And how much energy, how much sort of strength of mind one gets from that, well, depends on one's own merit and uh, practice, you know, how deeply. Oops how sincerely one does it and how much, how 